everything from overlanding and your stock rig to full-blown LS-powered two buggies on stickies. This is the Total Off-Road Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Derek. And this is episode 197 of the Total Off-Road Podcast. Lucky number 197. Are we going? Are we, we need to bring that back. Uh, 97 is the best year for many, many things. And by you know. 97, I mean 1597. Just kidding, 1997. I don't know anything about 1597. I actually sucked at history. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, 1597 seemed pretty bad. Did it? I don't know. I don't know much about history either. <laughs> <laughs> no, but 1997 was such a great year for music. Uh, it was just a good year for a lot of things. The, the 90s were awesome, but mainly the music. Man, 97 was good. The color Cars and the shape were... by the Cars Foo Fighters. Were... Oh, I just saw um, a recent Saturday Night Live where Foo Fighters were the musical guest. And of course, Dave Grohl was in some of the skits and he was hilarious. Oh, man, I miss Saturday Night Live so much. It's on. Oh, it's only on Peacock now. Like we had Hulu and they used to have it. Now it's on Peacock. No, you can and we watch don't... it on the NBC app if you watch like a bajillion commercials. <sighs> which is like watching old school TV. So Okay, well, same. A, I didn't know that. And B, I'm going to start because me and Patty often talk about how much we miss Saturday Night Live. You should. I'm going to. Can't wait to watch that Dave Grohl episode. So good. And it's also got... Um, Nate Bargatze is the host. Not he's sure I know a, who that is. He's a stand-up comedian. I don't think he's acted much, but he's fucking hilarious. Hmm. Oh, good on him. He's the host and he's a stand-up comedian. Yes. That sounds like a good time. It was a good time. And then Dave Grohl's in some of it. And I'm just like, this is the best episode ever. Ah, I want the hat. You do want that. You should watch it. Gonna. That's should the listeners. Yeah, watch some SNL. It's actually funny. I know that for years people were like, ooh, it's not as funny as it used to be. Well, it, it's it's good. Just watch it. It's fine. Yeah, I think the cast is like coming into their own, too. That could be. They A lot of them have been there a long time. Keenan Thompson's been there like an ungodly amount of time. He found his perfect job, and he will never leave it. Good for him. He knows what he wants. Yeah, I mean, that's great. A lot of people, you know, they move on. They say, eh, you know, this is just like a stepping stone for me to get my acting career. He's like, nope, SNL's the pinnacle. Keenan and Kel. Yep. Some, and some Nickelodeon stuff, and then SNL for the rest of Maybe his life. Maybe some All That. I th- yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I think All yeah. That was before Keenan and Kel. Oh, After? yeah, maybe. You I might don't be remember. Right. Yeah. I remember enjoying that show. Derek, what was- are you drinking tonight? I've drank this before. I bought a bunch of them because I liked them a lot, but it's a very strong flavor. Um, and so this is the last one. It took me a while to get through them all. It is a Dake beer. Very German sounding name. D-O-K-K-A-E-B-I-E-R. Kimchi sour with gochugaru and ginger. That sounds just terrible. Well, it... It's pretty good, but it's it's a strong flavor, and yeah, you can't drink like a bunch of them at once. So I'm going like, to turn off noise suppression. Hold on. Here we go. And. Ooh, crispy. Ah, see, like kimchi. All right, cool. Like when I'm eating kimchi, but kimchi and beer, no. And also sour beers, double no. It's not that sour. It's more kimchi-y. And it's <sighs> God, I forgot how good these were. I yeah. don't believe you. 
problem. I'm probably going to go buy some more. And then I'll be like, ah, I don't want another one yet, but we'll see how I, we'll see how I feel when I get to the end of the bottle or the can. See, that's the thing about sour beers. Everyone says like, oh, well, this one isn't that sour. Well, it doesn't matter. They all taste terrible. I wish that I could find one that I like, and I have been trying, but I've tried like 50 and I hated 50 of them. Maybe you I just don't like just, sour themes. I just, things. I really don't. I don't like tart. It's not my, it's not mm. my game. So this one is like, this has more kimchi and it's got some ginger flavors in it than it is sour. So it's more like a, a bitey, a bitey sour. You might actually like it. I mean, I do like kimchi, so I might be down. Where is this one from? It's from San Francisco, California. So you might not be able to find this one in the Midwest. You're just going to have to mail me some. I can. Okay, so oddly enough, speaking of mailing things, I needed to mail liquid the other day. And you know how when you're at the post office and you're mailing something and they're like, is anything in here alive or liquid or perishable or lithium? Like they ask you all these questions and you mm-hmm. have to say no. Well, for the first time ever, I had to say yes. It was uh, it's water samples. Like, obviously, that's liquid, right? And you're supposed to mail it. So mm-hmm. I always thought that you just weren't supposed to mail those things. And if you said yes, they were like hey, mister, you're trying to break the law, but actually, that's fine. So anyway, I told them, yes. And they're like, what is it? I'm like, it's water. And they're like, cool. And that was it. That was the whole thing. And I was like, why do you even ask? They're like, oh, we're just going to write on the thing that it's like liquid. So they, they handle prob- it nice. They probably put it. Like, like, that's it? The that's the only thing you do? Like, it doesn't char- it doesn't cost any extra or anything. They're like, yeah, we're just going to like write liquid. And I was like, actually, I already wrote liquid on it. They're like, oh, thanks. We Now we don't have to. Nice. Um, so anyway, if anyone like was put it down at the bottom so that it doesn't ruin everybody's packages, if it does leak, I guess that's a good point, too. But either way, I always thought that you just couldn't. You actually can. I'm sure that alcohol is different because technically you're supposed to have someone over 21 signed for it. Um, But whatever. Right. Like, but you can have had... you can do that. Like, it, I bet if you mailed beer and you told them that it was, you know, it's liquid, it's beer. They'd be like, okay, we need a signature at arrival type thing, and somebody needs to be 21. Uh, it probably costs more because the signature, I think, costs exactly, more. Exactly, exactly. So you I just. Think it, I think it's like a dollar more. Oh, that's not bad. I don't know. Maybe it's not, though. I don't know anything about it. Whatever the case, I'm pretty sure that any time that we've had beer shipped to us, it's always just been, here you go, good luck. Not water or not liquid. Yeah, I mean, it's, or either it is liquid or it's not, but you don't say that it's beer, right? You're just like, it's a liquid. Mm-hmm. Okay, have a nice day. Sody pop. Yeah, sody pop. I'm having a three Floyd's Robert Bruce. It's a Scotch ale. It's it's tasty. I can get it here because we're fairly close to three Floyd's. That's awesome. Actually, I didn't know they had a Scotch ale. Yeah, and it's year round, which is awesome. Hell uh, yeah. For my birthday, when I went and picked up Growy to take him to Core, he had bought me a six pack of three Floyd's beer and a T-shirt. Wow. Is that was awesome. that swell so nice. of him? That's swell of nice him. I didn't fella. get you that. <laughs> no, I mean, well, obviously, I was taking him to court, too. So, I mean, he was my my shotgun. But still, Fair. that was nice of him to give me something for my birthday. I didn't expect anything. No one gets me anything for my birthday. I heard I was taking him to court. For, yeah, for like a split I was taking him to court. My mind process that you were actually taking him to court. I'm his lawyer. Derek, of course, <laughs> is going to buy me something nice. He wants to win his case. Jeez. He wants you to be drunk. Because you're a better lawyer when you're drunk. I am so much better at arguing like, when I'm drunk. I object. <laughs> <laughs> Judge is like, what's wrong with you? Who are you? Are you even on the bar? Get this guy out of here. 
I passed so many bars on the way here. <laughs> I went into some too. But hey. good one, Derek. Pretty good. All right, are we going to talk about any off-road this week? Well, did you do anything off-road related? Uh, <laughs> I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If building RC monster trucks counts as off-road, then hell yeah. I would love to talk about RC monster trucks. Well, it's an option. I have like, you know, a hundred of them. So, and I'm in the middle of building. I guess I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm just going to talk about it. Uh, Probably not. I'm going to try not to go too deep into it. Cause if you're not into RC, then this is boring for you. Uh, my first RC, my first hobby brand, I won't say grade hobby brand RC was a, to me a midnight pumpkin, but it was the quick drive model, meaning that it came it was 14th scale, it was ready to run, and it was basically a toy. Like, it didn't have replaceable parts, more or less. Most of the parts were like, it's j- it is what it is, enjoy it. But, hold on, what is a Midnight Pumpkin? I just Googled it, but the listeners would like to know. The a Midnight Pumpkin is a Tamiya monster truck. Uh, it is a 112th scale, 1953 Ford F100 on, uh, you know, gigantic tires and a huge lift kit. It's got a roll bar. Um, got some blue flames and, uh, it's, it's mimicking, uh, Cinderella's midnight pumpkin. Um, it even says like for Cindy on the door and it's a picture of the pumpkin with the wagon wheels. And it's essentially, you know, saying it's just a, a spinoff of, you know, the midnight pumpkin, like it's going to turn into a pumpkin at midnight. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, super cool truck, uh, originally released in 1987, I think I got mine in the early 90s, but like I said, mine was the quick drive model. I never had the actual kit version. So for my birthday last year, or this year, actually, Patty bought me a Midnight Pumpkin kit, which is great. They re-released it. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. The re-release, of course, is somewhat modernized. Not much. Uh, most of the parts are still there. And so what I'm doing is I'm faithfully recreating the 1987 model with the re-release kit. All the parts that don't match, I have sourced. And I have had to find them all over the world. And I have gotten rod ends that, you know, were discontinued 20 years ago and and tie rods. And I found an old mechanical speed control and era correct electronics. And regardless, mm. I'm building it to be a perfect replica of a 1987 Minute Pumpkin. That's dope. And you're insane. I am insane. It's very expensive <laughs> to do this. Yeah, I was like, I, I know that like parts are so hard to find and it's like, okay, here's this like build your own kit, got modernized electronics. Like I'm sure it does not have a mechanical speed control anymore. Of course not. Um, but that's still pretty cool to see like you basically turn it back into an old school midnight pumpkin. I always thought mechanical speed controls were wild too when I was growing up. I'm like, Cause like I, I started getting into RC just as like they were on the out and my buddy, Jeff, the Spagler, he had a low C X X T. I think, did you actually yep. work on it? You worked on it, right? I, I told, he told me he needed offered. some restoration and I offered, but he never sent it to me. And actually now yeah. he lives around here. Doesn't he? Yeah. Or? He's running to Matt a couple of times. So yeah, you should, uh, should reach out to him. Um, I should. But it, that that car had a mechanical speed control, and like we were in high school, and we we're like, "Oh, this is so cool!" And I was like, "But it was old. Like he had gotten it like early in his childhood, and then let it sit." And so it was like, 
I think we needed to like, you know, deoxidize the mechanical. Yeah, you need to clean the contacts. Yeah, because it's basically just like a progressive resistor, right? Mm -hmm. That like as the servo drives the little contact along, the resistance gets less and sends more power to the motor, right? Uh, yeah, essentially that's how it works. Pretty neat. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But uh, they're obviously super inefficient, and they get hot, and there's a lot of moving parts. But they were cheap back in the day, and so if you bought a kit, you got a mechanical speed control. If you wanted to upgrade, you did an electronic one. Well, the newer Midnight Pumpkin re-release is made for an electronic speed control, and the tie rods that I had to source from all over the world um, have actually been beefed up, and the new ones are thicker, and the ball ones are bigger. But I was like, no, no, I want the weak <laughs> originals. <laughs> Give me uh, the original. I want the garbage. Yeah, exactly. So something kind of cool is because the parts trees are the same, you actually still get the mechanical speed control mounts with the re-release kit, which is great because I didn't have them and I would have had to find those. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't, so that's wonderful. The only part I haven't been able to find is the little tiny rod that connects the servo to the mechanical speed control, which mm -hmm. I think I could probably make out of piano wire, but uh, I haven't crossed that bridge yet, so we'll see. That's cool. Um, yeah. I mean, it, you're insane, but it's actually pretty neat that you're doing that. I got to admit, I don't yeah, have I've the been... patience. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> well, it's all, it's a slow process. It's just like anything. I'll, often people think because I have four trucks, it means I'm rich. And I'm always like, no, I bought one truck at a time over many years. And I bought another truck. Like it, I've just had trucks for a long time. I didn't go out and just drop, you know, like 30 or 40 grand on buying a bunch of old trucks. Like, And when you have an LS uh, lowered um 91 people will be like dang look at all that but you've let it sit without a motor in it for how long mike oh no, at least a couple of years yeah yeah you moved with it not not having an engine oh man that was a bad idea <laughs> so many like all the body parts i had to like move individually and like some of them got scratched and like that, that oh, truck's gonna need like a full paint job before like all of a sudden yeah yeah but before you need. before you do that paint job you should like go do some big smoky burnouts and like like don't like don't intentionally fuck it up but like beat on it so you know that it's legit and then make it pretty and then just don't beat on it anymore yeah i definitely need to go do some massive donuts and that thing once i get the ls going which yeah. I might. I have a coupon expiring at O'Reilly Parts in the next uh, like week or so. I should really go buy those Litter Valley O-rings so I can finish putting the engine back together. Yeah, you should. should do, that. Yeah. do it tomorrow after work. I might. I mean, there's an O'Reilly on my way home. There's an O'Reilly like, oh, yeah. right by my son's daycare. Like, there's, there's O'Reilly's everywhere. Dude, no problems. Just that's the it. thing that's actually stopping me from getting that done is I need to buy Litter Valley O-rings. How much did Lifter Valley O-rings cost, Mike? They're more expensive than you would think, but they're still pretty cheap. Like, I'm thinking, okay, I need eight O-rings. How expensive could it be? And you find out they're like 3 or $4 each, and I'm like, it's a fucking O-ring. <laughs> um, but, but yes, I should just buy them. You should just buy them, especially if you yeah. have a coupon. It's $5 off because I spent some money at O'Reilly. Nice. It'll pay for one O-ring. Yay. All right, before we get too far into the podcast, this is going to be the last time I say this. We're doing a Morphlake group buy. If you've oh been living boy. under a rock, I think we've been doing this for four weeks. The deadline is December 15th. If you message me after December 15th, I'm sorry. You will not get to be part of the group buy. Um, this should come out a few days before the 15th, um, just to give people some time. Um, but uh, yeah, the Morphlake group buy. 
Uh, we're very close to having 20 people. I think by the time this episode airs, we'll do some more posts, hopefully get that over 20 people. That means that we're at least going to have 20% off, um, which is great because if you missed out on the Black Friday sale, well, guess what? That's what the percentage, that's what the discount was. So you can take advantage of the Black Friday sale, not on Black Friday. Um, if for some reason we have an inundation of people and we get to 30 total people, then we get 25% off. Um, you may guess that is probably not likely because things have slowed down, but you never know. Um, so, but you're you're basically guaranteed 20% off at this point. So everybody sign up. Um, you can use it site wide. You can buy hose kits, you can buy compressors, you can buy tire repair kits, um, pretty much every swag, pretty much everything on the Morphlate website. Uh, or I think everything on the Morphlate website, not pretty much, uh, is included in the eligible. discount. Yeah, is eligible. Um, what will happen is you will send me a message. I'll put you on a list. I'll email it out. Um, and I think Tyler will give everybody or will give a specific link or a specific code to get the 20% off. And then you will get it. And you will get the stuff and you will be super happy. So I will be super happy. So that's for I. sure. Yeah, I'm Mike so and I will be happy sick. as well. Cause... So sick. I'm not having a more plate. Yeah, me too. I I took my Vire compressor with me to the racetrack when I raced the Mazda Laguna Seca. And it was great, but it was just using this like stupid like adapter that I had to make to that was like bespoke to the That made no came, sound at all. It came through. I heard it. Oh wow. Okay, cool. It was just quiet enough. So that's the beer <laughs> you're drinking, right? Yeah, it's the Robert the Bruce. I well, I was already drinking one, but now I'm having a second one. Yay. Um Yay. fuck, where was I? <laughs> Morphlate Group by. How do I how do you get in touch? Or how do you get in how do you become part of the Morphlate Group by? You send me an Instagram message at dmanbluesfreak, or you send me an email at dmanbluesfreak at gmail.com, putting Morphlate Group by in the subject. Um, or you hit me up on Facebook at Derek Lassini. That is L-A-S-I-N-I. And when you send me a message, uh, make sure you include your email address um, so that I can put you on the list. And you can enjoy the heavy Morphlate discounts. Heavy? Big. Heavy. Big and heavy. Hot big and heavy. and heavy. Ooh. Hot and heavy Morphlate discounts. You get you some hose kit. That sounds uh, well, like a great plan, Derek. Oh, also, if you message me, I will do nothing and likely not see your message. So don't do that. Please don't message Mike. You will not get. Uh, it will not get to me, and you will not. You, get you will get nothing. Group. You lose. Yep, you will lose. Um, <laughs> alternatively, we said you could email the Total Offer Podcast uh, at whatever. Um, please don't. Or uh, please not email. Don't. Not please don't. I think that Steve needs to do a uh, like login and just make sure nobody messaged it. It's much easier if you just Instagram message me directly. So yep. All right, we were going to talk about some stuff uh, before we get into off road stuff. I made progress on the Mazda. Oh man, what happened? I tore it apart completely and I learned many things. What do you mean? What does torn apart completely mean? Like, like you took it down to the, the rings. 
no, okay, fine. I didn't tear it apart completely, but I the the sticker on the license plate is about to expire, and I haven't gotten it registered in California yet because it doesn't it wouldn't pass smog because it kept failing EGR. I tried uh, replacing the EGR. Uh, I tried cleaning the EGR valve. That didn't work. I tried replacing the EGR valve. That didn't work. I tried re- the, with the replaced EGR valve cleaning the EGR crossover tube. That didn't work. That actually worked for a long time, like 70 or 80 miles. And I took it to the smog shop and then it failed during scanning. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I thought I finally fixed it. Um, I tried seafoam down the intake, blah, blah, blah. Nothing fixed it. Um, I got sick and tired of it for a while and just kept driving. Um, and I wanted to take it to Laguna Seca, which I did two Sundays ago. I don't know if we talked about it. I think we did. I think we did. Last week. It was awesome. Yeah. Bottom line. Um, the corkscrew is sick. I definitely want to go back and uh, I will. Um, all right. Anyway, so the next step was it's a it's a direct injected engine. It's one of the like relatively early ones, like mid mid 2000s engines. And so it doesn't have any sprayers like I think more modern direct injected engines do to like spray on the valves to keep them clean. Um, and so what a lot of Mazda speed owners do, you know, is from time to time, they'll pull the intake and do like a media blast on the valves. It's like, okay, well I'll kill two birds with one stone. I'll just blast the shit. Not, not media blast, but just break clean or, you know, carb clean the shit out of the intake. All this, take all the sensors out, make sure they're clean and working. Um, put it back together. Oh, and then media blast the valves and then put it back together and cross my fingers and hope for the best. Got the intake off today. Oh, let me, let me back up. Spent like four hours on Sunday extracting a broken bat or not broken, a stripped battery, uh, battery box or battery bracket bolt. So that was annoying. Um, and I got fed up with it. So I, I ended up taking off this afternoon and doing the rest, I uh, pulled the intake off, and lo and behold, the port where the EGR tube goes into the intake is like, I don't know, you saw the picture, Mike, how, how clogged? 93% clogged. That's probably an over-exaggeration, but it's like, it's probably realistically 50% clogged. 99.5% <laughs> clogged. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. Um, so I think I found the smoking gun there. Because the, yeah. the code was insufficient EGR flow. And now you know why. And now I know why. Hey, remember to check where the EGR ports go into the... I assume they go individually into the intake runners. Like, that's the big port, but like where that leads is into the... No, no, this EGR, there's one port, and it goes... It's at the very bottom of the intake, like below the uh, throttle body. Oh, like where it enters the head is just its own port? No, no, no. It's um. So the throttle body is down at the below at the front of the engine because it has a turbo at the back and there's a crossover tube. So the throttle body is like midway up the radiator, and then the the ports go up into the intake from the throttle body. Okay. Four cylinder. The, the individual ports are not clogged. Only the main port is clogged. Oh, there. What do you mean? 
Okay, so the EGR comes into the intake, and then for the mm-hmm. EGR to get into the engine, it goes through the intake. Like, it goes... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I don't like, know how it gets to the cylinders. I don't know if they're individual ports, or it just opens into, like, a big open space. There's eight ports, because it's a two-intake two valve per cylinder engine. I mean the EGR specifically. How does it it's, it's distribute like, it's, EGR it, into the intake? It's in parallel with the throttle body. It's, like, right next to the throttle body. Okay, got it. I got you. So it's just an intake plenum, and then it splits to four to, to eight runners. Got it. So yeah, just one port. Um, but yeah, I need to like clean up into the casting, like like up into the intake, because I think I, when I pulled the tube off, I like sprayed shit into that orifice, thinking like, oh okay, I'll make sure it's clean too, and like not a lot came out, and I may have just sprayed more shit up into the intake, and then it came back down and clogged again. So let's hope not. Let's hope not. Well, it doesn't matter. The intake is completely off. I will clean the shit out of it until it's bright and shiny and put it back and cross my fingers. So I'm excited about that. I just went up to the Mazda dealer and picked up an intake gasket, the throttle body gasket. I also now, I didn't know that I needed to buy the GR gasket. And I also bought three new battery box bolts (laughs) for $3 each, but whatever. I was there. Totally fine. All said and done is not that expensive. Yeah, I think all said and done. I mean, with with a walnut blaster and like the media and some other stuff, I think I'm under 150 bucks in like four hours so far, probably another four hours to clean it and get it back together. Maybe six. Uh, at would least been, money wise, you're not that much into it. Yeah, it would have been very expensive, I think, to have the Mazda dealer do it because I think they would probably have pulled it off and been like, you need a new intake. Probably. I mean, that's what we do at Toyota. If we yeah. have like a super clogged EGR passage, it's real bad on third gen Priuses. Like if they're if you pull it off, you see the same thing that you're seeing. We're just like, nope, new one. Because, yeah, you can try to clean them. But like it is. And yeah. the plastic intakes for one. Uh, but oh, also like cleaning cheaper. them is not great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is an aluminum one um, and it's got active flappers and four of the eight intake runners so yeah i'm sure it's probably six to eight hundred dollar uh intake from mazda probably um if they even fucking make it anymore like it's such a low That's volume true. engine right um but uh yeah i i, I mean <laughs> there's a possibility that that is not the root cause but dear lord it's pretty obvious it's probably the cause derek it it's seems like everything else is fine i mean where the EGR starts and finishes, it seems like you've gone through everything except for that part. So there's one other thing that I need to fix. And that is a, well, maybe a PCV valve, but probably also just a catch can because oil is everywhere, including the intake filter. So from PCV having oil in it, it's just coating everything. And then gravity, when I turn the car off, gravity lets it flow down the, the cold air intake down to the intake filter. So, mm. yep, pretty gross. Um, but yeah, while it's off, I'll do the PCV valve too, just because it's like a cheap part, cheap small part. Cheap insurance. Just get it done and go get you a certification. Get me a certification and then drive it until the wheels fall off, probably. I think I'm going to go full race car. Oh, now that you have a Toyota to drive? Well, I don't have it yet. I'll have it next July, but. Oh, that fa- that far away? Yeah, I mean, that's when they're going to Germany, so... No, I guess I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah, for those that... I, I think I mentioned it on the last podcast, too, but I, I will be... I think you did, but... 
babysitting a 2022 Toyota Tundra uh, TRD Sport? Twin turb skis. Twin turb skis. Three liter, right? Three five. Three five. It it scoots, man. I drove it when I was in Chicago for Thanksgiving. Um, and it they they say they get like twenty miles per gallon average, which is impressive for a full size. Not bad for a big ass truck. That's right. Um, and it's that cool gray. It's nice. Um, When you say cool gray, do you mean the? What's it called? Like something granite, or is it the like cement gray? Uh oh, I didn't know there were two shades. Well, the uh, one that's like a charcoal gray. Oh no, no, it's lighter. It's the like, yeah, it's like the cement gray. Oh, nice. I'm not even sure I've seen a 22 Tundra with that color yet, and I've seen a lot of Tundras, obviously because it worked at a Toyota dealership. Well, you can check the chat, and then you will see it. Oh, I was I just know. trying to look it up right now. Oh, oh yeah, it's absolutely cement gray. At least we we called that color cement gray a few years ago. I don't know if that's still the name or if it's a new shade now. Regardless, awesome. It's nice. Yeah. Lucky um, you. You're been a buying one. When they take it back, you're like, oh, I have to buy one. <laughs> I mean, I'll probably I I won't buy new because I just I can't bring myself to do that. But um, I'll probably want a Toyota of some sort. And then I will turn that into my little overlandy family camping rig. Do you want a Sequoia? Is more details than that or just in general? Uh, no, no is the answer. <laughs> okay. I, I For some reason, I remember you talking about it and I just have a friend that is selling one, but it does need an engine. He'd probably sell it dirt cheap, though. I don't want to mess with engine swaps in california even if it's a swap to well it's not yeah it's not even a swap it's just a direct bolt in like you put a new engine and you're done Eh. i don't think i would actively seek out a sequoia um uh derek miller had a dope sequoia that was solid axle swap in the Mm -hmm. front and like had a fully custom rear one um on 40s and it was sweet um if one like fell into my lap and was local like I i don't think shipping a sequoia out would make no, sense. no, it probably just makes sense. Yeah, and I don't, I don't really want my like family rig to be like nearly as custom as my truck either. Like, I'll put, like, I would love to put an RCLT like long travel rock crawling kit on it and keep it IFS, but like that's down the road probably because that shit's expensive. It's okay, good, so what is expensive? So what is the family rock crawling rig going to be? Forerunner, Lexus GX four seventy or sixty or something Wait, along those lines. I don't you're... know leaving ifs or your solid axle swapping i would leave ifs oh i thought the whole plan was to solid axle swap well i would use the like long term i would probably want to put in like the marlin crawler rclt ifs i guess i don't know anything about that you need to look that up um they did it on dirt every day they put it on that like puke green fourth gen forerunner and it's legit, man. Like I've seen a few people with it, including, um, oh gosh, I forget Mike, big Mike, uh, Marlin crawler, the, the original Marlin crawler owner's son. I saw him on the Rubicon and the, the kid is legit. Like it's got tons of travel. Um, if you run a sway bar and you disconnect it, it's got great articulation um and it's just a really well put together kit the rclt um, yes 
I'm looking at a picture of it, but that's literally all it is on their website. RCLT heavy duty. Oh, it's real expensive. Okay. But yeah, you got control arms, knuckles. I assume. Oh, wow. There's like a crazy. The control arm, like, it almost looks like a portal. The control arm goes so far down. Yeah, it's it's got extra like clearance too to the control arm because it's like up and then it wow, like goes straight yeah. down right next to where the ball joint would be. Must have like RCVs, I assume. Yeah, I think so. Um, I actually yeah. haven't looked at the price in a long time. Uh, do you want to know how much it is or not really? Yeah, go for it. Are you sure you just don't really want to know? I know. Six thousand three hundred. But it bolts in, Mike. It does bolt in. It That's bolts true. In. It maintains great ride quality. Not that you can't do that with a solid axle swap or solid axle, but I mean, like, ugh. it's legit. That's all I got to oh, say. It, it looks legit. It's just, man, for all that money, think about the solid axle you could put under that thing. Like, I feel I, like I you could think, take a truck and build an axle for $6,300. I don't think I could pay a shop to do that, though. And to, to link and link and swap in a solid axle myself if i'm still living here where i'm at now there's no way i can't do it i mean I don't, derek the space of the resources you never say never we did it in a driveway with a 20 degree slope before i don't have time to do that anymore this is one of those things where i can install it myself in a weekend like and then slowly like hack away at the fenders and It'll just be before I'm not going to get rid of the truck. Like I already have a solid axle swap vehicle to like do hardcore rock crawling. I want something that'll like overland and honestly probably won't do the RCLT kit for a long time. Like I'll probably overland it with the stock suspension with a nice set of shocks for a long time. and be super happy with it and just not. You absolutely can. Yeah. Uh, guys do it all the time. You don't need a solid axle to go off road. Like even for a lot of the rock crawling we do, you still don't. I, I say this all the time, but I'll say it just for the hell of it, that I'm always impressed at all the nearly stock new forerunners that come out with us, and they just do all the same stuff we do. And I'm like, what? Right. why Why did I build a truck when I could like buy a truck and just it does all the same things? Or like Nick's FJ, it was the same thing. It yeah. just goes all the same places we do, and we're like, what the hell? Not Not everything, like... Some of the bigger rocks and the technical crawling, maybe they don't do that stuff, but they still do like 90% of it. You know what I'd really like to do, Mike? Ooh, tell me. GMT 900 Tahoe. Ooh. Fabricate my own RCLT type kit. Keep it IFS, but make it like legit IFS. Like widen the track. Like make it long travel, put RCVs in it with like probably a three quarter ton front diff. So it's like actually strong. And then I can put a locker in it. Um, you could always start with a three quarter ton Tahoe. Wait, well, no, you couldn't. A three quarter nope. ton Suburban. <laughs> I could start with a three quarter ton Suburban, but eh, I don't well, want that long. much length. Yeah, it's yeah, too it's long. long. Um, I could also start with not a GM front diff. Um, interesting. So, so Nick McPherson, um, in Colorado. Know. Yep, you know what I'm talking about. When you say I that mean, name, for some reason, immediately he pops into my mind. So he like, had, I mean, I, he, he had like an yeah. LS. He still has it, I believe. Um, I'm trying to find his uh, Instagram handle. 
Ah, I clicked on the wrong one. Uh, Nick McPherson. His name is... Okay. His Instagram handle is Nick J. McPherson. So real... Took me a while to find that. Probably shouldn't have had... Shouldn't need have needed that much time. All right. What is it? He has a original gen Colorado. I don't know. Like a GMT 360. The ones that came with the five cylinders. And what he did was he basically fabricated a uh, a drop kit. IFS drop kit. And I believe he used lower A-arms from like a GMT 900 or maybe even newer uh, three-quarter ton truck. I don't know what he did for upper A-arms. Um, and he used CVs from a newer three-quarter ton truck. And you'd think he would have used the front diff from a newer three-quarter ton truck, but no. He used oh, a Dana 44. Really? What? He took a Dana 44, and he cut it down, and he machined faces on it and welded tabs to it so that it would bolt in place of the the IFS diff and I I don't I'm not sure if it's C clip or if he had some sort of other uh bearing retainers. I think he machined bearings uh uh bearing journals in or not journals but bearing press in features into the diff housing. What and tarnation? And it's awesome. Like and he's got an aux locker and like it's legit and and it doesn't have a five cylinder anymore. It has three more and a spinny thing. Um, I believe it has an LSA or it has a six has liter with an LSA of, blower. Yeah. That's insane. Yep. The, so was, the, the thing that's insane, not the LS, anybody can always swap something. The thing that's insane is that he custom built a Dana 44 center section. And then, yeah, I, I'm looking at the front suspension right now and I don't know what the hell is going on with those control arms. They look like they're, they, somebody just makes them. So he must have fabricated mounts to fit some sort of control arm that he just thought would work. Yep. I remember following his build thread on Pirate, and I was like, God damn, that's awesome. So good. Is it all worked up in CAD? Like, good lord. It performs well. Like, it's... And, like, that's the type of thing I want to do, you know? I get it, man. That's just... so crazy also but yeah like the rclt kit the marlin crawler one like the the lower ar well probably the upper arms too the arms are fabricated so like you get a plasma cutter and a bender and you can make your own fucking arms you could do them out of tube but it'd be i think you're limited in what you can actually do um so i think fabricated plate arms are the way to go um but yeah pretty legit I think um, I think what, that's even, cool, and it's like honestly one of my favorite builds of all time. Period. And stop, like because of that. What even is this diff? I'm looking at a picture he has on his Instagram, and yeah, it's a Dana 44, some sort of Dana 44 housing, but it's got yeah a flat machine surface with four threaded holes on either side. And I'm like, what did he just fabricate the whole housing? Like, it's not like he just took an axle and like machined it into this. Like, it's like he started from scratch. I mean, he. I think he took an axle and pressed the tubes out, and then like machined a bunch of the casting down. Um, and maybe guess, he had to add some material to like, man, make the flange to bolt the like the little stubby tubes on. It's legit. Maybe right? you're right. It's it's cr- like looking at it, it looks like it. It's factory. It's it's it, great. 
yeah, it looks like it's just meant to be that way, and that's what's so insane looking at it. Is mm-hmm. you can't even tell that it's something custom made. It's I don't know, kind of mind blowing, really. I, I guess I never realized there was that much work into this rig. I knew that he had built some sort of custom IFS. I had no idea that it had a custom center section with a Dana forty four until just now. Yes, sir. Freaking yeah, it might be sweet. like it might be. The axle might be like a special type of Dana forty four. I'm trying to think back. Like maybe it was an IFS Dana forty four or something, but I, I don't think that's the case. But I just have no idea. Yeah, it's legit. I mean, that's that's something that you could do though, like in in general. But keeping things GM, like the nine and a quarter that comes in the three quarter tons, like is the same ring and pinion as the Dodge ones. So there are lockers for the nine and a quarter front. Um, you just need to figure out how to mount that larger diff in the half ton Tahoe. Okay. Um, Sorry, but I'm also I'm still scrolling on his Instagram and there's a picture of a GMT 800 on the beach, completely airborne. Like he's just took his GMT 800 out for a Baja or a Baja for a Baja. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what picture you're talking about. There's another picture of it getting airborne. There's two pictures of the (laughs) picture, your truck with no bed and IFS and getting airborne. Is it red? It's red. Oh, yeah, I remember that truck. What is going on here? It was like a work truck or something. <laughs> he just decided to just go get catch some air. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, I see it. That that looks painful coming down. But uh, he had the engine that's in the Colorado, I think, was in his, like, Forerunner before. And there's a picture of him getting airborne in that in the snow. Like, not a little airborne. Like. Like a foot off the ground, at least. No, like four feet off the ground. Oh, I'm not seeing that one. Yeah, scroll further. I'm seeing. I'm watching a video of him doing Baja stuff in this truck. Yeah, he's legit. Anyway, okay. Anyway, uh, so that sorry. Would be, that would be my like ideal family like crawler thingy, um, or like uh, Overlandy, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, that's a lot of work and time, and I just don't have as much as I used to to do this type of stuff. So, amen, brother. Yeah, but. Uh, Toyota stuff, yeah. I'm gonna have to listen to the Snail Trail podcast some more once I get this Tundra. <laughs> Do they like all Toyota things, old and new? I know they like old stuff. I don't know if they like new stuff. If you like something with Toyotas and something with Toyotas and even something with Toyotas, you've come to the right place. I've that's not that's how, that how that works. Exactly, it's close. I listen to them as much as I can, but it's not every episode, I have to admit. Sorry, Tyler and Jimmy. They listen to us. So I, I don't even listen. Don't listen. I don't listen to any podcasts. I occasionally listen to the Total Off-Road podcast when I'm not on it, just to try to catch up and see what's going on, but I haven't even been doing that lately. <laughs> I really man. should. I really should. I know. I know. I'm the worst. You should. It's pretty good. There's been a couple people that have tagged me in uh their like spotify like top podcast things because like obviously snail trail and wheeling wine and whiskey beat us out but (laughs) sometimes we're number three so and i'm sure that we're some people's number one so we appreciate all of our listeners that's for sure um sure yeah we were going to talk about stuff and i guess we kind of alluded to it but not quite the same thing well 
do we have enough time to keep talking about to talk about something real? Well, I can say that at least I uh, I I got so a couple episodes ago. I'm sure I mentioned that I got fed up with my storage unit and brought the I won't call it a unicorn, but like the very rare axle that I happened upon when I was in Illinois still back home. That axle is a GMT 400 dually axle, um, which is not that rare, but I think there was a certain spec of dually that had thicker housings or maybe they all had it and I'm just naive, but this particular one, and I know because I drilled it to make sure, um, has half inch to like four inch diameter, half inch wall tubes that are thicker, like where it presses into the diff and thicker where the spindle welds on their three quarter wall there. Massive. It's also 74 inch, I think wheel mounting surface to wheel mounting surface, which is a little bit wider than my current rear axle with the spacers. I think I'm at 72 on that, but like that's pretty close. That's weird um, that a dually axle would be wider. I thought they were always narrower. Duallys that have beds are wider because um, the inner tire needs to be at oh, the same it still spot, needs to meet the same. Yep. Yeah. Um, but cabin chassis axles are typically narrower. That's what I'm thinking of. Exactly. It's a cabin chassis. Okay. Yep. Never mind. Carry on. I do think that this axle has exceptionally thick tubes for a non cabin chassis axle, but I'm not, I'm not certain either way. It's pretty sweet. Um, my plan is to eventually swap the GMT 800, uh, brakes over to it. And then, and then also my leaf spring perches and anti-wrap bar and shock mounts over to it and put it under my truck. Um, but that's a lot of work. And that damn slightly bent rear axle that's under my truck still keeps working. So <laughs> I haven't done it. Um, but it was out front of my house because the only way to get things to the backyard is like a, you know, three foot wide alleyway. Um, and I was like, how am I going to get this thing into the backyard? And I was like, garden, tra- not tractor, garden trolley, garden, garden cart, garden cart. Thank you. Um, I bought a garden cart for 70 bucks on Craigslist with the inflatable wheels and mounted that shit to it. And it worked fucking great. 450 pounds without rotors and brake stuff, I think. Roughly. So you just set it on there with a hoist or something or did you muscle it up there? Or what did you do? Uh, Floor jack. Okay. Like floor jacked it up, put big jack stands under it, slid the garden cart under it, uh, put some wood blocking down to yeah, make yeah. sure it was stable and then ratchet strapped it to the garden cart and like not a single issue just even though it was rough and kind of leany no problem how'd you get it off kick it i haven't taken it off yet <laughs> <laughs> so it was like a few days ago oh, um so we'll test those tires i guess in that garden cart <laughs> seriously um i'm not gonna leave it on there permanently but um i just emily's out of town and I, was, I was like hey do you have time to like where do you want me to put this ugly thing there's like yeah. two or three places where it's kind of out of sight. Um, and then we just didn't have time before she left. So I'm like, I'll do it next weekend. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, man, like it's a lot of work to swap that axle under and the freaking one that's in the truck just keeps working. Hey, same boat, brother. <laughs> I have a Dana 60 sitting around and I'm like, well, that 44 just keeps working. Yeah, you got a lot of you got a lot of work to swap that on under too. Like regear some axle. Yeah. Singular. 
<laughs> Regear and axle, and it's the easy axle. And I, I'll, I definitely have to cut off all the steering and probably the shock mounts. I mean, that's not the end of the world, but it's still work. When you order gears, remember uh, Brian Mize, friend of the podcast. I will. If he can give me, for some reason, a better deal than a uh, complete off-road, then I would go with him. True. Chris will also get you a good deal. Yeah. And I I'm pretty sure Chris will take any any Yukon deal at all and price match, if not give me a better price than any advertised price. There you go. And I said advertised price. So I don't know if Brian Mize is like, here's a deal. If he's like, I need you to deal on top of my deal, that might be too much to ask. But Yeah, fair. But at least with Chris, you'll be getting Yukon too. I don't know. I forget what brand the rear gears I have in my truck are, but they were through Brian and they've held up. No problem. Towed a yeah. 7,000 pound trailer and an 8,000 pound truck across the country. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that most gears are probably pretty decent, but if I had to choose, I would go OEM or Yukon. Because OEM gears are so good. There's a couple others that I would probably trust, but yeah, those are the... I agree. I'm pretty sure the 410s that are in Snow Day, all of them, are original. Well, the 410s I got from you that are in the rear and the 14 bolt. Those are original. Yeah, those are like 1979 gears, and I'm pretty sure the front 410s are 1979 gears. The wait, the 410s. I don't know that the year, the year of that. I don't know the year of those gears because they came out of a 1970s 14 bolt. Um, but that 14 bolt was shaved. I assume it had a locker and different gears in it. So those gears could be from any time. They could be any brand. We just have no idea. Well, I'm sure they're like who buys. 410 aftermarket gears. Not many people. On-road guys. Yeah, I guess on-road guys. That's a steep gear for an on-road guy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Just saying. But they're probably OEM, let's be real. They probably are. Um, Yeah. That's actually something that I don't think a lot of people consider. When you need a part for your vehicle, how often... Do you, or just anyone listening, how often do you say to yourself, I should get the OEM part, and how often do you just go to the parts store and just buy whatever they have in stock? And I feel like for most of my life, I would just go to the parts store and get whatever they had, and then at some point it dawned on me that I could just get the original part, and it is always better every single time, no matter what, unless we're talking about an upgraded or aftermarket part that is different for a reason, like obviously like... The factory didn't offer a 40-inch tire, right? So you have to go right. aftermarket. But I mean, when an OEM part is available, it's almost certainly the best part you can get. I mean, I'm going to circle us back to Nick McPherson's truck because those you saw the lower A-arms. Like, they're they're cast aluminum. Yeah, he didn't from make like a, those. Yeah, I think they're from like a late teens Chevy. Like yeah, probably, sure. Three-quarter ton. And he just made mounts to fit those. That's right. And he took, well, I mean, he took a Dana 44 and put an ox locker in it, but it, like he took an axle that already exists that was a solid axle that was OEM or whatever you want to call it. And like, anyway, yeah, pretty neat. Um, I, I'm the same way. Like I went to Mazda dealership today to pick up intake and throttle body gaskets in the hope that A, they're better, B, they last longer, and C, that saves me from having to tear the shit apart again. Um, yeah. 
I think it, if it's a critical component, it's not like a wear component, I tend to buy OEM, but things like brake rotors, like pads, like I'm not buying OEM necessarily, probably because I'm trying to either save some money or go increase performance. Like on the Mazda, I'm going increase performance and on the truck, good Lord, OEM brakes for a three quarter ton are expensive as hell. All right. So I, I hear you. But also recently, similar to what I just said, I needed brakes for the 08. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll call up Napa. I'll get the best stuff they have. And I did. I said, just give me whatever Napa gold, Napa premium. I don't care. Just absolute. I want best rotors. You have the best pads you have. Mm-hmm. I don't care what they cost. Send them to me. And they did. And I put them on. And every week, my front wheels were black. And uh. I said to myself, well, what the hell? These are like the best pads there are. So... I got online and I looked up the original equipment, not the AC Delco, the right. original equipment brake pad for that truck. And I found them wholesale for $100 per set. That's an expensive set of brake pads. Yep. But I swapped them out and I have not had dust once ever. Absolutely zero noise, perfect performance, great braking. And yeah, even brake pads, OE nice. are the best. I would have put OE rear uh, brake shoes on it. When I did the rear, but I couldn't find them. So I went AC Delco. Mm. And actually, they squeaked for like the first month because they took so long to like form to the shape of the drum. Yeah. That they made noise. I took it apart like three times thinking like, what did I do wrong? And every time I was like, no, everything's totally fine. They just needed a long time to set in. But I bet you if they had been OE, they wouldn't have made noise. Oh, man, you reminded me of brake squeal. I have I have a compromise set of pads on the Mazda. They're like Hawk performance pads that are like touted as like the street like race pad. And they're good. They're really good, actually. They They pretty much fit all my needs because on the street, they don't need a lot of heat to perform. And on the track, they don't fade very That's easily. Important. Yeah. Um... And it's interesting because like you get on the track in your first lap or so, like they're not great. Um, and then for the rest of the track day, they're fine. And then you get back on the road later and the first few times you break, they suck. Like you got to really push hard oh, and then they're back to normal. Then they like convert back into street mode. Like there's some so weird blazing or something. There. And I'm like, I don't know. It's magic. You know, how does the posi track work? Posi traction work it just does. It just is. Um, and but they but they do squeal at like very light braking, mm. and it's such a high pitch that if I have the windows down, I, I just have to roll the windows up, and I'm like, sorry, everybody around me, or I brake harder, and then it's fine. But I think like Matt one. said that once when he had the Corvette or the Porsche or something, he was like, oh yeah, these super high performance brake parts are great, except for they're so noisy. I remember, I think he ended up putting street pads on and then when he would take it to the track he would swap pads which to me is too much work it does seem like a lot of work yeah but it is an option um but yeah i'll keep buying these pads that i have on the mazda they're fucking great uh yeah so i think i need to decide when or if i'm gonna put that beefy ass rear axle under my truck it's extra weight, but obviously my current axle is bent, so I could probably use a little bit thicker tubes. Um, and getting rid of the wheel spacers puts less load on the spindles. 
Uh, so this one's very unlikely to bend. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot of work. I don't know. It is a lot of work. It's it's really hard to justify when you have an axle that works perfectly fine. Yeah, and I drove I, across, I drove across the damn country with a slightly bent axle and a heavy trailer behind me, and it was no problem. You didn't even notice excessive tire wear on one tire versus the other. No, I think that was entirely one hundred percent the like janky tie rod that we like the reason why I found the bent rear axle is I went to Harlan with Groey and Connor and I broke tie rod and had to do a trail repair and it was crazy and I like aligned it on a gravel gravel road to the best I could and drove all the way home like however many hundred miles 400 500 miles or something um and I had like really bad tire wear on the outside or inside I forget which on the front um and I thought that the rear was too uh, and so I started like, okay, the front's obvious, like tie rod had too much toe in or toe out. I don't remember. And then I started measuring the rear cause I was like, the rears are messed up too. And it's like a degree negative camber and a degree or half, like three quarters of a degree towed in on one side. So bent a little bit, honestly, it could have been bent when I bought it. Maybe. You just assumed that you've been at that one time, but it's possible yeah, you didn't at all. That was like that. That was probably the hardest I had wheeled on it at, at yet. Um, yeah. I remember specifically there was like a very slick climb littered with like basketball sized rocks and there was nowhere to winch to um, and nobody in front of me. So I was oh. like, all right, let's see if we can get up this. And then if Connor or Groey need to winch to me, then they can. Um, and I like double low, like full foot to the floor, bouncing up this fucking like thing. Like it's, it was a lot of weight and yeah. So, but I, I beat on it since and it's not gotten worse. So <laughs> I'm not convinced that it wasn't already bent and I just have been dealing with it for yeah, maybe 70,000 miles, 60,000 miles or so. Yeah. I get you. So regardless, swapping the axle. It's going to be a project and you just have to figure out when's the time. You almost have to like schedule it. Say, I'm just going to do it. Because if you just yeah, keep thinking about it, you're never going to do it. That's just how that are, goes. There are more pressing items. There are, I need to rebuild all four leaf springs, fix the one that's bent. Um, I actually, I, I think I have, have a clue. No, I have a possible, uh, I don't know what to call it. Possible root cause. I have a hypothesis on what might be the weird rattle that I have when the uh, truck is under a certain load and the torque inverter engages. I saw. Oh yeah. I saw on a company I follow. It's I think it's called Bulletproof MP two hundred five or hold on. Let me let me look it up. Two hundred five. Uh. Oh, are you kidding me? Instagram, you dumb. Okay, it's bulletproof NP205. All one word, no underscore. Um, the company's name is Tease Cases. Uh, they specialize in rebuilding transfer cases, specifically the NP205. I think they're down in Southern California. Um, and they made a post recently. Uh, da, 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 da. Can I find it? 
No. Oh, here we go. Uh, stating that the shift rails on the NP205 are a wear item, uh, even though they're like a cast piece. Um, Weird. And they're basically saying that, um, you know, many many customers are surprised that when I tell them that their shift forks or shift collars are bad. Um, and some, some symptoms of this are hard to shift to into or out of gear, slipping in gear, obviously, um, chattering on acceleration, Mm. which is pretty descriptive of the sound I'm hearing. So Mm -hmm. I planned on pulling the MP205 out this winter and anyway to like go through it. I haven't done it in the last four years since I put the doubler in just to make sure that everything is legit. Um, and yeah, the shift collars are like 25 bucks a piece, which is insanely cheap. And transfer um, cases are pretty easy to disassemble. So why well, not? Right. MB205 is like, I, I actually love rebuilding MB205s. I hate taking them out and lifting them up onto the bench. Oh, yeah. It's crazy heavy. But <laughs> yeah, so getting heavy. it apart, just like any transfer case, most of them are just pretty simple. It is down rebuild an MP205. Um, Downright pleasant. It's all gears, right? It's all gears and bearings and flanges. Like, there's yeah. nothing else. Um, they're, they're, very, they're very easy to rebuild, and apparently they're pretty cheap to rebuild, too. Um, cool. so I don't remember what my shift works look like. I think I was like, it's an MP205. It's bulletproof. I don't care if there's any wear. So I have no idea how much wear there actually is, but like offer design sells a shift work for 25 bucks. So I'll order two and rebuild the shit. Awesome. So that'll happen, but that, that is more pressing than the rear axle. Um, I have a driveline vibe too. Uh, so I need to spend time swapping over my spare drive shaft just to see. Um, figure out what the vibe is on my my good drive shaft or my beefy drive shaft, and I that that'll that'll do it for now. <laughs> Let's get those three things done and then figure out how the truck is performing from there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. I think we should probably call it. It's probably been at least an hour, right? You don't want to talk more about axles. It has been an hour. No, nah, we should move over to the Patreon. It's getting pretty late over here in Indiana. Yep, that's right. Sheesh. Any last words? No, we got to talk about spa partners. Well, we don't need to mention more flakes. We talked about them quite a bit. Yep. We should mention complete off-road for just about everything that your off-road rig needs. 563-583-5363. Ask for Chris. There's crawler off-road for your recovery needs. I said that I was going to do a deal with Rick and we like agreed on it and everything. And then we just both kind of forgot about it. And I still don't have a synthetic wind trope for my trailer, but I really would like to have one because it is so irritating having a steel cable and a knotted and torn and tattered one to it to boot. Yeah. I need to get a uh, 10 foot tree saver thing, man. Everybody needs one of those. They do. All right. Who else? Let's see. There's offered anonymous. For when you need a Milwaukee pack out cup mount. Jacob. Jacob's signature series. <laughs> uh, we've got. Uh, Roar- well, I want to say Rory, but that's not Rad Designs. Geez. Rad Designs. When you need to get your shift together. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get not, your shift together. I need to get my shift together. <laughs> I'm obviously not reading from a list, so. I am. 
Well, aren't you fancy? Yeah, I wrote them down a long time ago because I can't remember that stuff on the spot. Do you want me to list the last one then? Go for it. And summer shine supply for when you need your rig to be shiny. Yes, sir. Definitely need some of that stuff. Seems pretty great, I guess. I never detail my trucks anymore. I used to do it all the time. Kind of quit because I just have a kid and I don't have time anymore. So now I Aww. never use my detailing supplies. Well, it's, it's sad, really. It's a little sad. I, le- I mean, at least you're not driving them except for the 08 and snow day. Do you detail snow day? I, I wash it. I okay. pressure wash it and I actually wipe down the interior, but I'm not even sure what I use. I you probably start use summer shine after all. I should trips. probably use summer shine supply products. I, I use some sort of generic cleaner just to wipe down the dash to get like mud and stuff off, but I don't even know what it is. I haven't wiped down the interior of my truck in far too long. Oh, you don't do it every single time you go off road like I do? Definitely not. Every single time I go off road, except for actually the last time because it was cold and I didn't want to pressure wash it. So you it's better, out. You, be, you, better, you better do that, otherwise, you're going to turn into me. I can't do that. I mean, I, I at least pressure wash it. I'm like, if I leave dirt on it, it's going to rust more. Yeah, Snow Day still has mud from the Badlands when we went a few weeks ago. And that's it. very not like me. I usually at least pressure wash the exterior and wipe down the interior every single trip. Yeah, I figure the interior is like, it's only going to get so dirty. Like, it's not going to rust away because I didn't clean the interior. No, but you got to clean it because I like to drive Snow Day and if it's muddy inside and i'm you know trying to just wear my regular clothes i don't want to get dirty well i mean the seat's not dirty i vacuum or bat bat out the seat okay well i'm saying i didn't even do that oh okay you should do that yeah i really <laughs> i'm really slacking hard right. really slacking yeah it's bad okay anyway let's get I the hell out last of here. words then oh shit here we go clean your rig people oh. I uh I took the floor mats out of the Mazda when I went and raced it and I was like, "Ooh, I'm going to leave these out and after I fix the interior or fix the EGR problem, I'm going to vacuum this shit." So, do your you floor should mats, too. Do your floor mats attach to the Mazda? They have like little clippy dues. They're WeatherTechs, so one of them does. The passenger side doesn't though. Just pulls out. Okay. I was just asking because in a racing situation, it would be a real shame if your floor mat got like stuck underneath one of your pedals. That's why I pull them out, even though they yeah. clip in. But I just, I'm like, it's not worth it. Yeah, I get it. For like two hours total oh. of driving. I can take them out. Totally fine. All right. That's it for episode 197 of the Total Off-Road Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you on the trail. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.